Our scripture passage this morning comes from Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14, we return again to Mark's gospel for the first couple months of this year and uh, hope to be here until we finish Mark's gospel. It's been a long journey. We've been in and out, in and out of it, uh, but I've enjoyed it and uh, I hope you have as well. Mark 14, verses 1 through 11. We're getting closer now to the cross, as you can see from the heading in the ESV Bible. Mark 14, verses 1 through 11, hear now the holy, inspired, and inerrant Word of God. It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest Him by stealth and kill Him, for they said, not during the feast lest there be an uproar from the people. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly. And she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her, but Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me, for you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them, but you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money, and he sought an opportunity to betray him. As far as the reading of God's own word, let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the opportunity we have at the beginning of a new year, our Savior, to sit under your word. And to listen to the voice of our shepherd, our Savior, and to hear what He has to say to us. Help us, Lord, like Mary long ago, to sit diligently and attentively at the feet of Jesus. And to consume everything He has to say. For as you said then, so you say now. That is what is best. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This uh, past week, I attended the funeral of a close friend's father. He died suddenly uh, the day after Christmas of a heart attack, very tragic, very sudden, very unexpected. Thankfully, uh, he was a man who he, he loved the Lord, and he had given no shortage of evidence of that throughout his life. And as I heard these stories of his faith at his funeral, and as my friend shared stories uh, with me uh, of his dad's faith that others had had actually shared with my friend, uh, I I found myself inspired. I found myself with a greater desire to serve the Lord. 
And you know, the, the, the faith of others can and, and probably should have that effect on us. It, it should inspire us towards greater devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ. This morning we meet another whose faith ought to have that effect on us. It is a woman who at the home of Simon the leper in Bethany, just days before Jesus would be crucified, displayed extraordinary devotion to our Savior. This morning, we're going to look at her story, and with God's help, we're going to learn from her example. As we turn our eyes to the text, this is what we'll notice first. We'll notice that one woman's extraordinary devotion is contrasted. It's contrasted. You'll notice that the, that the story of this woman's devotion to Christ, it's sandwiched in between two stories of defiance and deception against Christ. This is uh, kind of a literary technique that Mark uses where he'll sort of begin a story and then insert another story in the middle and then finish that first story that he began uh, in seminary. I remember uh, Professor Deppie calling it a Markin sandwich. Uh, I always thought that was hilarious at the time, but uh, that's just the name for Mark's sort of way of writing. He'll begin a story, and then he'll insert a story in between it. He'll sandwich that story, and then he'll finish the first story. And of course, his, his purpose in doing that is to really bring out and emphasize certain aspects of the story that's in between. And so in verses 1 and 2, Jesus told of the agreement made between the chief priests and the scribes to arrest Jesus and secretly kill him. And then in verses 10 and 11, we, we read about Judas's part in all of this, and we read about how Judas Iscariot makes the decision to betray Jesus over to the chief priests and scribes, and, and they're glad, right? And they're so glad that they offer to pay Judas uh, a sum of money. And so it's against this backdrop, really, of defiance and deception against the Lord Jesus that Mark inserts this story, places this story of one woman's extraordinary devotion. And no doubt when, when this woman's story is contrasted with the stories of the religious leaders on the front end and Judas Iscariot on the back end, the one thing I think that really stands out, at least that really stood out to me, is, is you know, who this woman is compared to who these these men are on the outside of her story. The, the religious leaders of the front end and Judas Iscariot on the back end are really what we might call the who's who of the world as far as the Bible is concerned. These are people who, for various reasons, had some level of power and some level of privilege. The woman, well, um, not only is she a woman, uh, but you'll notice she's also not even given a name which is why my sermon is titled, One Woman's Extraordinary Devotion. If we were given this woman's name, I would have inserted her name in there, right? But, but, but her name isn't even, isn't even included. And certainly, Mark does that on purpose, because in this contrast, there, there's really a, a, a lesson for us. And the lesson is simply this. Jesus didn't come for the big-name somebodies of the world who, who make much of themselves, no, he came for the no-name nobodies who make much of him. And so I ask, in your own mind, 
Who are you? Are you a big name somebody who makes much of themselves and who uses their power and influence to to serve themselves and to promote their own cause? Or are you a a no-name nobody who simply makes much of Christ and who uses whatever meager resources you have to serve Christ? I'm reminded of a man who shortly before he died instructed his pastor to say one thing at his funeral. He said, Pastor, I want, you to say, I want you to say one thing at my funeral. I don't care if you say anything else. I don't care if you even say my name. I want you to say one thing at my funeral. I want you to tell him that I was a sinner saved by grace. Right? That's it. Essentially, he said, just said Pastor, just, just tell him I'm a no-name nobody who's nothing apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. These are Christ's people. Secondly, this morning, as we continue on in the text, we see that one woman's extraordinary devotion is costly. I'm starting the year on a good note because all of these points start with a C. So, um, well, the last one I sort of cheat, but we'll get to that when we get there. Um, One woman's extraordinary devotion is costly. We see this in verse 3. And while he was at Bethany, in the house of Simon the leper... As he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. Pure nard is a rare uh, and very expensive perfume that comes from India. It's made from the root of a plant which is grown in the Himalayan mountains. We see in verse 5 that this perfume was worth more than 300 denarii, and that would have been roughly... A year's wages. One denarii was about was or one denarius, I should say, was about one day's wage. And so and so this perfume, it's 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 pushing, you know, being worth a year's wages. It's it's very, very expensive. That'd be one thing, right? If this woman just put a couple drops on Jesus' head. Uh, but notice we're told that she 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 breaks the flask and she pours the entire thing over Jesus' head. She devotes the entire bottle of this precious perfume to the Lord Jesus. This can't ever be used again. It is gone. And yet in this act, we'll remember that such extraordinary devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ, it it never comes without a cost. This is, is in a sense, always, always what it looks like. It's not people who put a couple drops of their life on Jesus, who we consider to be extraordinarily devoted to Christ. No, it's, it's people who break their life open and pour it all on Christ that we consider to be extraordinarily devoted to Him. Just, just think of those. Right? There, there's people in our minds who, who we can think of as, as people who, like this woman, have displayed, have displayed extraordinary devotion to Jesus. There's always, there's always a cost, isn't there? There's always a sacrifice. There's always something of this world that these people have given up and died to. A couple examples came to my mind as I, as I thought of people who I knew and I know who are extraordinarily, in my mind, devoted to Christ. I, I think of first of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I didn't actually know them, of course. I knew of them through the Word. Uh, but they were, they're thrown into the fiery furnace. God saved them. But they didn't know that God would save them. As far as they knew, they devoted themselves to God in that moment at the cost of their lives. Eric Liddell, or Little, I don't even know how you say his name. He was the chariots of fire guy. Remember? 
He devoted himself to God at the cost of a gold medal and really at the cost of his reputation in Great Britain. People of Great Britain were not happy when Liddell refused to run on Sunday. I know a man right now. He is, he is same-sex attracted. And out of and sell into the Lord Jesus Christ, he is committed. He is committed to remaining single and celibate and to not giving in to that desire of his flesh. In my estimation, friends, that is, that is extraordinary devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet we know that that comes at great cost to him. A cost far greater than any of us can fathom. I know of a pastor who out of devotion to Christ uh, called out his congregation's sin and error and he lost his ministry because of it. They, they threw him out. There's always a cost to following Christ and serving Christ, especially in extraordinary ways. It may cost money, it may cost possessions, it may cost comfort or friends or family or worldly pleasures, it may cost, but there's always a cost. We need to understand that. Dutch people like to get things on the cheap, don't they? Sometimes... Us Dutch people, not all of you are Dutch, I know that. Sometimes the Christian Reformed Church is rooted in the Netherlands, and so that's why I say this if you're not aware of that. Um, but sometimes, as, sometimes to our shame, we try to, get our, try to get our Savior on the cheap too, don't we? We try, to, we try to have Christ and our sin. We try to have Christ and the sinful desires of our hearts. Can't happen. There's a cost to following Jesus. There's a cost to being devoted to Jesus, to serving Jesus in this world. Of course, Jesus said nothing different, did he? Whoever comes after me must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Third, notice that this woman's extraordinary devotion is criticized. It's criticized. <clears throat> Look at verses 4 and 5. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor, and they scolded her. Extraordinary devotion to Christ looks foolish to the world. Those who, those who give their time, talent, and treasure to Christ will, will hear the world say to them, What a waste! What a waste! You could have done so much with that time, so much with that talent, so much with that treasure. What a waste! And so young people, right, don't be surprised when, when people criticize you for saving yourself for marriage out of devotion to Christ. They might call you names. The world has their names for, for such people. Don't be surprised when they call you names. Don't be surprised when your friends look at you cross-eyed. When out of devotion to Christ, you, you say, you know what, I'm, I'm not going to go to that party this weekend because you know full well that that party will be, will be full of sin and wickedness and all sorts of things a child of God shouldn't be part of. Don't be surprised when people criticize you about that. Don't be surprised when people get all up in your grill about stuff like that. An extraordinary devotion to Christ looks foolish to the world, and it will often be criticized by others and by the world. Now, what is shocking is what Matthew tells us, and it's that this woman is criticized by Jesus' own disciples. And so remarkably, remarkably, the criticism of this woman 
It's not actually coming from the unbelieving world. Now, Judas is part of it. John tells us that. And so there might be a sense in which the unbelieving world is, is provoking it, but it's really not coming from, from the unbelieving world. No, 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 this, this criticism this woman is receiving is actually coming from within the family of God. It's coming from other believers, as it were. And Daniel Aiken, I think, captures well the point when he says this, the world and, sadly, many in the church will never have a problem with a moderate measured devotion to Christ. They will have little or no problem with too many possessions and a pursuit of a comfortable and convenient Christianity, but walk away from a real career and you will be marked as foolish, living a wasted life. Walk away from mom and dad to serve the Lord in an inner city among the poor and hurting, and you will be deemed silly and impractical. Walk away from family and friends to head out in the mission field among an unreached people group and take your children with you, and you will be chided as reckless, radical, imbalanced, in need of counseling, and maybe even a prescription. That's what, that's what Aiken says. And he says, he says it's, not just, it's not just unbelievers, it's, it's believers, it's fellow Christians, will be critical of our radical devotion to Christ. It's crazy. Like the woman pours oil, uh, or excuse me, um, right? No one has a problem with religion in moderation. Right? We, we don't have a problem with those who practice comfortable and convenient Christianity. We don't have a problem with, with, with someone who pours a couple drops of their life on Jesus, but this woman, she breaks the flash, she pours all the oil on Christ, and she's criticized for it. Those who are in the, they think she's lost her mind. This is how it often is. Even in the church, you'll be criticized. I remember a young man in our youth group many years ago. Young man was just on fire for the Lord. And this was like 15 years ago. I was actually a leader, so this isn't going to say much about me. Um, I wasn't a peer of this kid. But this kid was on fire for the Lord. And some of us leaders, sometimes we would, we would sort of tease him. We would sort, of, we would sort of mock him. He'd always want to know about our faith. And we'd be worshiping in youth group, and he'd have his hands in the air and his eyes closed. And he was sort of just putting everyone to shame. And again, we would, we would sort of tease him. We would mock him. We would be critical about him. That kid, he's, he's kind of a weirdo. Uh, Fifteen years later, he's still on fire for the Lord. He's serving the Lord as a campus minister. He's actually a wonderful friend of mine. Uh, that zeal hasn't left him. But we were Christians criticizing other Christians for their devotion. Right? How sad and yet how like us, right? Fourth, this woman's extraordinary devotion is, is commended. It's commended. We see this in verses 5 through 8. And you'll notice first Jesus commends the wisdom of her devotion. We read, but Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, and whatever you want, you can do good for them, but you will not always have me. Jesus commends the wisdom of her devotion. He essentially says, no, you think what she's done is foolish. I'm telling you what she has done is good. It's right. It's wise. For the record, uh, if Jesus is not God, then what he says here is quite arrogant, isn't it? I mean, he just exalted himself over the poor. He just said, this woman is better off using her perfume on me than on the poor, okay? That only makes sense if Jesus is God, which obviously he is, and therefore what this woman has done was not foolish. It was not a waste. Now, what she has done was good, it was right, it was beautiful. And what we need to learn here is this, nothing, nothing, nothing is ever wasted in service to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
No time is wasted in service to the Lord Jesus Christ. No talent is wasted in service to the Lord Jesus Christ. No treasure is wasted in service to the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing is ever wasted in service to Jesus Christ. The people gather around, they say, what waste? And Jesus says, no. No, nothing. Nothing is ever wasted when it is given in service to be. Many years ago, John Piper wrote a book called Don't Waste Your Life. And I think we would all agree uh, that we don't want to waste our lives, do we? We don't want to come to the end of our lives and say, wow, I totally wasted my life. I totally spent my life doing things that in the end aren't all that meaningful. Right? There's not one person here who wants to say that. Well, do you know how not to waste your life? Jesus tells you right here how not to waste your life. Give your life in service to him. Nothing is ever wasted in service to the Lord Jesus Christ. You give up a high-paying job because God, God has called you. Say you're crazy Christ in the church or in the mission field or maybe in the home with your children. The world will look at you and say, you're crazy. You've wasted so much talent. You've missed out on so much money. The Lord Jesus says, absolutely not. You have done a beautiful thing. Nothing is ever wasted in service to the Lord Jesus Christ. So Jesus commends, he commends the wisdom of her devotion. He also commends the extent of her devotion. He says at the beginning of verse 8, she has done what she could. She has done what she could. Jesus doesn't ask anyone to do what they are unable to do. Jesus doesn't ask Pastor Dirk to sing, <laughs> thankfully for all of you. Jesus doesn't ask... Most of us, to stand up here on Sunday morning and preach. Jesus doesn't ask someone without kids to train their children in the way they should go. Nor does he ask those of us with a little to give as much as those of us with a lot. He simply asks us to do what we can. I was speaking to a very generous Christian man recently who told me that years ago, he picked up a hitchhiker along the road homeless hitchhiker, had no family, really had nothing in this world. And then, and then he gave that hitchhiker a job and a place to live on his farm. And for 30 years, that hitchhiker ended up working for him and living in a home on his farm. And then this hitchhiker, he died, and this man at his own expense paid for his funeral. And I heard that story, I thought, that is awesome. That is, that is awesome, and certainly we would all agree, there's something very Christ-like about that, and certainly it was this man's faith, I can tell you, that moved him to do that. But then I began to think how awesome that was, and I almost began to feel bad that I had never picked up a homeless hitchhiker and given him a job and a place to live. And yet, let's be honest, this man has resources that I do not. He is able to do things that I am not able to do. Christ gave us to do what we're able to do. The widow gave two mites in the temple. Jesus commended her for giving what she had. This woman breaks an expensive flask of perfume. She pours it over Jesus. He commends her for giving what she could. He doesn't ask us to do what we're unable to do. He asks us to do what we can. I guess the question is, are you even doing what you can? Are you even doing what you can? Many of us, the answer is sadly no, we're not. A few drops of our life here, a few drops of our life there. We're content. 
right? Moderate Christianity that nobody has a problem with. Jesus also commends this woman for the motive of her devotion. I think this is probably the most interesting, noteworthy part of this story. Look what Jesus says, verse 8. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. It was common in the first century uh, for the dead to be anointed. Uh, You'll remember that on Easter morning, Luke tells us that the, the women took spices that they had prepared and they went to the tomb. They were going to place those spices uh, on the body. It was common for dead bodies to be anointed with sweet-smelling perfumes and spices. That was a common practice. Jesus says, this woman, she has anointed me beforehand. She She has responded appropriately to my impending death. Now, the question is asked, did this woman know what she was doing? Did she truly have Jesus' impending death in mind when she broke this flask and poured that very costly perfume over him? Or is this just one of those instances where someone in God's providence unknowingly acted in the most appropriate way? Because that happens too in Scripture. Well, I think, I think we have good reason to believe that this woman knew something of what she was doing. I'm going to give you the good reason we have to believe that in a moment. For now, I'm just going to ask you uh, to trust me. Remember, Jesus spoke often of his death throughout Mark's gospel. It was something he talked about to those who were closest to him. Uh, The disciples, and especially Peter, they didn't want to hear anything about it, did they? In their mind, the Messiah was not supposed to die. And yet it seems that what Jesus has said about his own death, it was not lost on everyone. No, this woman, by God's grace, it seems, got it. This woman, by God's grace, understood. And I would argue that this woman is the first person in all of history To recognize that what makes Jesus so incredibly worthy of all we are and of all we have to give is his death. I would argue that that she is the first person in all of history to recognize that the lamb is worthy precisely because he was slain. I would argue that she's the first person in all of history to truly understand the gospel of Christ's death for the salvation of his people. Now, I'm not going to say she had it all figured out. I'm not going to say she had the ins and outs of, of, you know, substitutionary atonement and, and of, you know, justification by faith alone. I'm not saying that. I'm simply saying that with God's help, this woman understood something that the disciples did not understand, and it's that Jesus' death was not antithetical to his being the Messiah. No, it was intimately bound up with his being the Messiah. The disciples would say, Jesus, the Messiah can't die. This woman seemingly understood that the Messiah must die. The Messiah, the Messiah has to die. 
Now, we know the rest of the story. And this woman, too, would soon learn it. But let me ask you, if she was willing to exhibit such extraordinary devotion to one who would die, how much more willing should we be to exhibit extraordinary devotion to one who died and who three days later rose again and who is even now seated at the right hand of God and offering mercy and life and salvation? to sinners everywhere who will call on His name by faith. How much more should should we be willing to give our life, our all, to the one who who we, we know and we understand wrath for our sins in His body on the tree and who suffered the wrath of God in our place on the cross and who was raised for our justification who has secured for us eternal redemption. I want you to notice next that this woman's extraordinary devotion is commemorated. Verse 9, and truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Now the fact that this woman's story is preserved in God's word is a fulfillment of Jesus' promise here. Wherever the gospel is preached, this woman's story has told. Case in point, um, this church. The gospel is preached, and this morning, the woman's story is told, isn't it? And no doubt her story has been told in countless congregations and settings all over the world where the gospel has been preached. This woman is commemorated. Jesus honors her with a place in His Word and in the gospel story. And this too speaks to a, to a greater truth, a more general, broad truth, which is set before us in Scripture and which is applicable to us ever and always, and it's simply that God honors those who honor Him. We read that in 1 Samuel 2.30, John 12.26, God honors those who honor Him. Boys and girls, young people. This is a powerful incentive for you to ever and always serve Christ. You will have times in your life when two ways are before you. One way is right, one way is wrong. Nobody's looking at you. It's just, it's just you standing there. Remember in that moment that God honors those who honor Him. I recently just heard the story of a young man uh, who was out deer hunting, and for a was, he was trying to fill a doe tag. And he went for a walk in the woods and he spotted a deer a ways away. He looked at it through his scope and he determined, yep, it's a doe. And so he pulled the trigger and that that deer, it it fell right there. He was all excited. He walked up to it. He got about 30 yards away and he realized it wasn't a doe. It had little spikes about that long coming out of its head. The young man, he had a buck tag, but he was honest. He had really hoped to use it on something a little bit bigger and a little bit better than that. And so he sat there, he said, and he debated, you know, what should I do? He said, I can, I can walk away from the deer and I cannot tell anyone about it. I can try to knock the spikes off and tag it with my doe tag. I can just tag it with my doe tag and try to get out of here as fast as I can and get it cut up before anyone finds it. Or, 
I can do the legal thing. And for the year. One remaining buck tag on it. And be all done hunting for the year. And the young man said he thought about it and he was, he was wrestling sort of with his, with his inner self. And he said, suddenly, like from heaven, this verse just sort of like shows up in his mind. God honors those who honor him. And he said, in that moment, I knew what I had to do. And he put his buck tag on it. And he hung up his hunting clothes and his stuff for the rest of the year. It's a powerful incentive. To serve God. He honors those who honor him. Now, he won't honor us all in the same way. For instance, I dare to believe that you or I will probably not have our stories told wherever the gospel is preached. Nor will God necessarily honor us as we expect. Nor might he even honor us in this life. Nor maybe will we ever even know how God has honored us. And yet it remains. That God honors those who honor Him. And for the believer, that should be enough, shouldn't it? Finally, notice that this woman's extraordinary devotion hasn't come out of nowhere. It seems like it came out of nowhere, right? This woman shows up, pours oil on Jesus, like, who's she? That's how it feels. Mark does not tell us who this woman is. He does that for a reason. He does that to make a point. John does tell us exactly who this woman is. In John 12, we learn that this woman is Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus. Some have suggested that Simon the leper, uh, whose house serves as the setting for this story, is maybe the father of the three. And in all likelihood, he too has been healed by Jesus. We don't know that for sure. We do know this is Mary. We also know that as far as the Gospels are concerned, Mary is the best listener that Jesus ever had. Remember the story, Luke 10, 38 through 42, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better. And it will not be taken away from her. That's Mary. She's the best listener that Jesus ever had. And that's why I believe she knew exactly what she was doing when she poured that perfume on him. Because if anyone would have heard and believed what Jesus said about his impending death, it is her. But for our purposes this morning, let's just recognize That one woman's extraordinary devotion began at the feet of Jesus. It began with her taking time to humbly listen to and learn from her Lord. 
Your congregation, let me ask you, what do you want from 2021? What do you hope to accomplish this year? You want to lose weight? Sign me up. You want to get out of debt? Is there some project that you've been neglecting you'd like to finish? My son Brooks said, Dad, you know what I want to do in 2021? I want to learn to catch the football one-handed. Okay, buddy. Sounds like a worthy goal. What do you want from 2021? Well, one thing that each and every one of us should want is to become a more fully devoted follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. That should be the most supreme desire in the hearts of all God's people. Well, the story, the story of one woman's extraordinary devotion, it shows us where to begin. And it's at the feet of Jesus, listening to and learning from His Word. Let me ask you, you've made plans and preparations, I assume, for the upcoming year. Many of them will fall by the wayside, but, but have, you, have you made a plan for spending time at the feet of Jesus this year? Have you, have you made a plan for spending time listening to and learning from God's Word? If not, I encourage you, a plan, I encourage you to do so. Don't just wing it. I encourage you to to make a plan as to how you, this year, are going to sit at the feet of Jesus and listen to and learn from His Word in order that by it you might become a more fully devoted follower. Don't be afraid to ask for help. I can tell you what I've done. I can tell you what others have done. I can recommend podcasts that you can listen to daily that will teach you Christ's Word well and faithfully. Make a plan and recognize this morning. Recognize that extraordinary devotion, it doesn't come out of nowhere. It doesn't just happen. It begins at the feet Father in heaven, examples, we thank you for the examples you've given us in life and in your word of other people's faith. We thank you, Lord, for the encouragement and the instruction that we can receive from this this woman's faith, Mary's faith, even as she long ago displayed extraordinary devotion to our Savior. Help us, Lord, to experience some of what she did when she sat at the feet of Jesus in the year ahead. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. We're going to stand and sing again. Take my life and let it be.
Your friends, receive the parting blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn His face toward you and grant you His peace. Amen.